Let us pray. Gracious God, we ask you to bless these words as they're spoken and bless our hearts as we hear them. We pray to you, to you, you are rock and our redeemer. Amen. Many of us are accustomed to attending lectures in any setting around where the instructions are to inhale two or three times. The intent of those invitations is really to invite uh, this, something holy to come inside of us, perhaps, something to change us. This morning, there might be another good reason to do that. I invite you to take a moment and take a couple breaths. Breathe so that that beautiful gift of air goes all the way down into those lower membranes in your lungs. Thank you. One of the grand experiences of working here in this wonderful congregation for the past decade has been visiting with friends who, who even when intensely challenged, find grace to live and to live well. It's also interesting to hear personal stories, thoughts about theology, even if very few of us are bold enough to claim that word as part of what inspires us to live well. I have especially learned from those of us who live freely enough to see our relationships with loved ones grow in new ways. And my life is richer for hearing friends say important things and ask questions about where God is. I hope in these minutes to share some things with you I've been learning from you about theological questions and about relationships. Sometimes a question is right out there in plain language as in Judy Bloom's 1970 book, Are You There, God? At other times, people among us speak metaphorically, using symbols, many of which we have learned from the psalmists. Religious language is rich and full of metaphors. Many of the figures of speech involve parts of our bodies like eyes and ears, lips and hearts. We lift up our eyes and incline our ears. In this morning's lesson about Isaiah's call, we read about his lips. His words describe much more than a body part. And when John Wesley described his heart as being strangely warmed, he was talking about the beautiful mystery of his inner being, and ours too, not about his myocardium. There's also metaphorical languages for the barriers which don't connect but separate, which keep us apart from each other and separate us from God. Words like barriers, other kinds of things that separate us, we can wonder, or at least I wonder, if there is religious language to describe the mysterious layers 
so active in our relationships with God and with each other. In addition to the poetic imagery of eyes, ears, lips, and heart, may I suggest that another metaphor is helpful. This one also rooted in the language of biology. As you received the bulletin when you walked into church today, you must have noticed a very unusual bulletin cover. Many of you have already recognized that it is a microscopic photograph of a little bit of human lung. Dr. Mark Lovell found the picture for us. Thank you, Mark. Those lacy structures, the membranes, surround the air sacs called alveoli. We adults and older children have about half a billion of them. If you look more closely at that bulletin cover, you will see microscopic walls and you will see some blood vessels. And you can even see a few red blood cells inside them. Membranes are remarkable for what they let through and what they keep separate. Yes, they are porous, except that for some substances they are impermeable. The red blood cell membranes and the air sac membranes allow oxygen to enter and carbon dioxide to exit. Oh, but hemoglobin stays just where it is right there inside the red blood cell. Here's a question. Could membrane metaphors give us a better sense of God's presence? And could they inspire us to be lovingly present with friends and even opponents? What elements of a relationship go right through the membrane's pores? And what elements of a relationship stay separate? Let's talk about that idea of where God is. Our wonderful scripture reading, thank you, Kate, begins with images of God being high and lifted up and then further concealed by angels' wings. And then the temple is filled with smoke. Isaiah trembled and became aware of the error of his ways. That previously opaque membrane became permeable, and Isaiah's life changed. The transcendent God out there penetrated into Isaiah's life and changed him. To use a theological word, God becomes imminent, I-M-M-A-N-E-N-T, and Isaiah says, here I am, Lord. We recognize that our God out there and our God in here are confusing. It is an old debate, and the words transcendence and imminence are common in some other circles. Lest we take sides too quickly in the quarrel between the two concepts of God, Assuming maybe that God as our close friend is the better expression than God out there, let's think about this morning's hymns. 
we came in today singing Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise. Stanzas 1, 2, and 4, they transmit messages about God as transcendent. You might have noted, though, that the third verse is about God being active, imminent in human life. This morning's ending hymn is fully grounded in imminence. It, its sentiment is that God's love for us is like the love of a mother who has born, nourished, and nurtured her children. How about some biblical references about transcendence and imminence? In Isaiah 55, the prophet speaks to God's transcendence. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And in 1 Timothy, the theme continues with these words, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. How about biblical references to imminence? In 17th chapter of Acts, we read, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And in Psalm 23, those wonderful, familiar words, the Lord is my shepherd. These two understandings of God are truly not at war with each other. Perhaps we could think of them as coexisting with an active membrane between them. When we conceive of God as being only out there, we can remember God as imminent and intimate. In the same way, if we think ourselves as being at the center of God's attention, we can welcome the redemptive thought that God cares for all of creation. That are you there, God, question prompts another question. What is the nature of the membranes, if you will, the membranes that lie between us and God? Ancient sages have described something called thin places, those spots on earth where the veil between heaven and earth is most permeable. Many in our tradition have had the privilege of traveling to Iona, an island off the west coast of Scotland. There are other places in the globe with the same reputation. Iona, though, was founded there centuries ago by St. Columba, an Irish immigrant. The idea is that visitors to the island can feel closer to God. Many who do have that experience come home with the sense that they do not need to return to Iona to feel close to God. The membrane's permeability continues and is not place-dependent. As we've noted, this particular Sunday is the final Sunday of the church year. We celebrate it as the Reign of Christ Sunday, 
remembering that the risen Christ rules in the world. When Advent begins in one week, we will begin another church year, and it will have a different focus. During Advent, we do a lot of heart work, taking inventory of what we're carrying around, cleaning out those heart chambers, reading about Mary's intimate encounter with the holy angel, and then welcoming the Christ child who's eager to make a home in our heart's mangers. During these days, we live in that membrane between the images of Christ, the powerful monarch, and Christ, the vulnerable child born in an ordinary place. May I point out another membrane, the windows in this sanctuary. In the front, we look up at an image of the risen Christ reigning in power. If we walk down that south aisle, we see images of the baby Jesus, born as a fragile little creature. Powerful, yes, but with power demonstrated in a much different way. May I also point out that the reading from Isaiah, which Kate read for us, is memorialized in a window in the upper south transept. If you're of a mind after church, take a little hike and you will see a sketch of an image of Isaiah with the words beneath them. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Ending with, here I am, Lord, send me. At the first service this morning, we celebrated the baptism of a child. And next week, we will celebrate Holy Communion. Those sacraments, those sacraments of the presence of God invading, invading lives. Frederick Beekner wrote this, a sacrament is when something holy happens. It is transparent time, time which you can see through to something deep inside time. You are apt to catch a glimpse of the almost unbearable preciousness and mystery of life. God out there and God in here, these wonderful images. We celebrate these sacred intrusions into life going right through our welcoming membranes. Could this membrane imagery also enliven our relationships with others? Here's a little story. A friend of mine is a high school basketball coach. He notes that he has found a way to navigate his way among the complexities of the job. When a young athlete needs direction or empathy, my friend encourages the student to speak. And the student knows from experience that the coach will listen. This coach can also communicate in return, knowing that the young player will also probably listen. So are all the communications open? No. There is the issue of some parents who yell at their kids. Those comments meet an impenetrable barrier in my friend. At least the barrier is 
temporarily impenetrable until a later time when he can do something about it. But my friend has a fine sense of what needs to cross membranes from person to person and what needs not to cross. Some would just put up with the destructive chaos. Others would build barriers or walls. But the coach uses skills rooted in what we can call a membrane understanding, knowing when the membrane needs to be porous and when it should be impenetrable. Building barriers implies permanence. Being aware of membranes allows for new understandings to enter into a relationship. Many of us who have met a new baby for the first time are aware of the close intimacy that appears so quickly. Then, as little ones get into temper tantrum stages, the membranes begin to function a little differently. Distance becomes part of the strategy. In the best of worlds, intimacy and distance coexist in beautiful, nurturing, loving ways. An understanding of how membranes work will serve us better than will our current momentum to create barriers between people. Membrane work is quiet. Barrier work involves noise. Membrane work includes listening. Barrier work takes a lot of fast talking. Membrane work includes introspection. Barrier work focuses on others' wrongs. Membrane work involves change. Barrier work aims at permanence. Membrane work requires humility. Well, why don't you take it from there? I'd like to assert that practicing membrane theology is a sacred practice. It involves those things Jesus preached about and included in the parables he taught. Things like self-examination and love of enemies are what our world needs. And they do not conflict in any way with adherence to important principles nor to our personal integrity. We ask that God will continue to urge our hearts along, convincing us to embrace new ways of understanding ourselves, new wisdom about life with God, and new relationships with others in God's creation. Amen. <laughs>